you know, you don't have to pay any fees when you're solo staking. So already that puts you above the rest from a, from a rational standpoint. But the, the other thing I want to highlight is that my prediction is that there is going to be special airdrops specifically for solo validators. Bankless Nation, it is a special day. Today, we are hard forking. ETH staking withdrawals is enabled. David, what is going on? Who do we have on? Yeah, the Shanghai, now called Chapella upgrade, coming to Ethereum, coming to a blockchain near you. Uh, the long-awaited withdrawals hard fork uh, that allows stakers to withdraw Ether. Uh, we uh, hard forked into proof of stake a while ago, created the beacon chain, did the merge, but in an abundance of caution, we left out this one ability called withdrawals just to not overcomplicate things. It's really the only reason why we didn't <laughs> include withdrawals in this original merge was to not to make the merge as least complicated as possible. So fast forward to where we are now, we are now enabling withdrawals. Uh, and so this has caused a bunch of conversations uh, around the cryptosphere. Uh, is this bearish? Is the ETH price going to dump? Uh, is it actually this bullish? And more people are going to stake as a result of this. What happens to Lida? What happens to Rocket Pool? What happens to the insane supply of Ether that is in Coinbase? Uh, there is a lot of second order consequences as a result of this merge. There are 18 million Ether that is locked up in the beacon chain and that becomes to be unlocked later today, I believe at 9 p.m., no, 6 p.m. Eastern time, uh, 6.30 p.m. Uh, and so this uh, uh, episode's going live a few hours earlier than that. And this is just a conversation with three guests from around the Ethereum ecosystem. we got Anthony Cezano, Ethereum community member and content producer, also solar staker and solo staker tinkerer. He gives his perspectives as uh, what his role is in the Ethereum ecosystem as a result of being a solo staker and what he's doing in the four different boxes that he runs to solo stake. Uh, so he's got Anthony. We got Anthony. We also got Justin Drake. And we all know Justin Drake, uh, EF researcher and Ether economic thought leader. And then we also got Tim Bako as well, who leads the all core devs calls. So three diverse perspectives to all give their takes about uh, this Shanghai Chappella upgrade. Guys, uh, we're going to get right into the episode. Um, maybe a few last thoughts here as we get in. So we're going through the um, what's happening, why is it a big deal, why it's called what it's called, the effect on price, liquid staking, and what's next for Ethereum. So this is a really interesting episode. We hope you stay tuned for it. We'll be right back with Tim and Justin and Anthony. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless Nation, we are here with Tim Bako, protocol support of the Ethereum Foundation. He leads the All Core Devs Call, which is the only true source of hard fork dates. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Also, we got Justin Drake, another researcher at the Ethereum Foundation, lead of the ultrasound.money website, project, and also meme. Justin, welcome back. Thanks for having me too. And last but not least, Anthony Cezano, Ethereum community member, also content producer, solo staker, and solo staker tinkerer. We will get into what that means towards the end of the show. Anthony, welcome back. Thanks for having me on, guys. So, guys, it is a big day in Ethereum history. Uh, I think this will be the last hard fork that is relevant to the proof-of-stake project. 
But since Tim, you are the herder of cats as it relates to what it takes to make a hard fork come to be, I'm wondering if we could start with you and just kind of give us the the high level details for people who uh, need to catch up to what uh, Chappella is. From the protocol perspective, what is the Chappella hard fork and what does it do for Ethereum and why is it significant? Of course, yeah. Um, so the most obvious thing uh, that Chappella brings is the introductions of withdrawals on the Beacon Chain. So I assume anyone listening to Bankless knows this, but uh, today, if you launch a validator on the Beacon Chain, you're basically depositing your funds into a smart contract, which gets read by the Beacon Chain, activates your validator there, credits your fund, uh, your funds on the Beacon Chain. You can earn rewards uh, and penalties depending on if you do good or bad job. Um, but then there's no way to actually get your funds back out on the execution layer to either you know sell your ETH, use it in DeFi, anything like that. Um, and uh, since the merge, uh, validators have been able to receive transaction fees. So when they produce a block, the transaction fees they get are not on the Beacon chain. You know, they get sent to any ETH address. Uh, so the main thing we're introducing with uh, Chappella, this upgrade that's activating today, is kind of closing the loop and allowing validators the ability to withdraw their stake. Um, and again, you know, for your listeners, some of those validators have been have locked their stake since 2020. So it's been uh, it's been a while. Um, and so, yeah, after this upgrade, they'll be able to, to to withdraw it. There's a couple other small changes that we're introducing as well, but this is really kind of the, the big one. So within hours, as soon as that hard fork happens, Tim, um, those listening who have staked ETH will be able for the first time to withdraw that staked ETH. Is that correct? And is there some sort of queuing mechanism as well? Let's say there's a there's a run on the, the ETH staking. A run um, on the protocol. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does that put us into trouble? Like what you know, uh, t- tell us the mechanics of how this might work. Okay, yeah. So um and there's many, many different ways to break this down. So please bear with me. Um, so there's two types of withdrawals you can think about. So there's full and partial withdrawals. Um, and the way that they work is that uh, every block, basically validators scan over uh, the validator who's producing a block, scans over the validator set and tries to find the first 16 validators for whom they can do either a full or a partial withdrawal. And they they process those, they add them into the block. And then the next validator, you know, picks up where the last one left off, scans a chain, tries to find the next 16, packs them into a block and so on. Um, So if you're a staker and you don't want to stop staking, um, those partial withdrawals will basically happen automatically as long as you set uh, uh, ETH uh, ETH, uh, address as a withdrawal credential. And if you've been a validator for a long time, you might not have done this. It'll be possible to change it after the fork. Um, But this is basically what what happens every block is a validator checks, finds 16 validators who either are fully exited or have a balance bigger than 32 ETH, withdraws that back on the execution layer and, and then moves on. Um, if you are a validator and you do not want to be a validator anymore, you need to exit before you can get your full withdrawal process. Um, and just like when we uh, have new validators join, we kind of want to, to throttle them so that the validator set can't change too quickly. If there's a bunch of validators who want to leave at the same time, we also throttle this process. And the reason for this is is basically security, where you know you could imagine if we didn't have this on both sides, somebody could either hack a bunch of ETH, you know, acquire a bunch of ETH, replace the entire validator set or the majority of it, do some bad stuff, exit, and kind of not be penalized. Um, so because we want to prevent this, we we sort of slow down the flow of validators on both ends. 
Um, and so this means that if you are a validator today and there's a bunch of other validators who want to stop being your validator at the same time as you, you need to send this exit message and then it gets processed uh, basically in the order that nodes receive them. Um, and there'll be kind of a delay between when your message was received and, and when you can fully exit your funds. And during that period, though, you still basically earn rewards and penalties. You you could still get partial withdrawals processed, but um, to get like your 32 ETH back or, or potentially less, you know, if you if you were slashed or whatnot, um, you need to wait until you've, you've like cleared that queue. Um, and I'm not quite sure Justin probably knows the exact number that we clear every block, um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a constant number per block uh, that actually, well, it's a constant number that depends on the total stake size. So, um, but on the order, it's less than 10 per block, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I am familiar that even with simple updates to Ethereum, there are these like edge cases that get really, really complex, even though simply put Shanghai is withdrawals. And then there's like a bunch of like rabbit holes and things to, to pull apart. But let, let me summarize what I think you just said, uh, Tim. There's this bottleneck called the withdrawal or deposit queue. And that bottleneck is the same on both sides. So it's equivalent. And all that really does, like imagine just like, water sloshing back and forth between two buckets and there's like a pipe between these two things and one is staked ETH on the on the beacon chain and the rest is ether everywhere else in the world and there is a, a pipe between these two things that constrains how fast ether can move in either direction and it's the equivalent uh, size and the reason why we have that constraint is that we're talking about the security of the ethereum protocol we don't want things to move too quickly we don't want to go from 18 million ether staked to 2 million ether staked to 25 million ether staked really, really quickly. So we put in this constraint that we call the deposit and withdrawal queue, and that just helps things settle and the foundation of Ethereum to not churn too quickly. Uh, yet it still is sufficiently large enough that if you want to withdraw, you are going to be able to get your Ether within a pretty reasonable amount of time. Uh, Tim, I don't know if you guys have done any like simulations, but like what's the longest somebody would expect to wait after pressing the withdrawal button before getting their ether in the in normal circumstances like non ftxe type weird stuff i know this is almost an impossible scenario to ask you about but just like can you kind of put a time box on this thing so honestly i i i don't spend my time doing simulations on this maybe justin does um yeah but um you know i think you see with like the deposit queue like it's mostly empty most of the time um you know sometimes there's like a couple hours maybe a couple days but it's like rare that you get these massive these massive spikes um that said you did get like you know a pretty big initial set of people wanting to be validators like at the launch of ethereum at the merge and whatnot so i wouldn't be surprised like obviously this is the first time we're gonna have withdrawals there's probably a whole set of people who want to or have to like exit their validators um so you know we'll we'll see some churn and i suspect we'll probably see some churn on both sides like we'll probably see some people who didn't want to like stake their eth until withdrawals were live and, and now now can um but once we've processed that initial chunk like i you know i i don't see why there would be like a huge exit queue on a day-to-day -day basis except in cases when like yeah there's a massive amount of the stake that that has to exit and whether this is you know like the, the Kraken thing that happened or um, something like that, where um, they represent like an non-trivial part and they all have to exit at once. Um, then obviously you'd have a, you'd have a delay. Similarly to if, you know, there's a new cool liquid staking pool that shows up and people want to stake with that and they launch a bunch of new validators that they'll have a delay in getting them activated. Um, so and one thing, sorry, one last thing I'll add is for most people who just want to stay a validator, um, the scan happens, I think it's every four or five days. 
that you get your rewards after uh, after this. So even imagine you know you you haven't set your ETH withdrawal address yet. Uh, you set it tomorrow and like you sort of missed the first scan. Um, you'll you'll get it like five days later. So I think on the, for the average validator who's just getting their partial rewards, um, it'll be a pretty regular process. And 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 there's no there's nothing that would like extend the duration of that scan significantly except the number of validators. So if we double the number of validators, then you know it'll go from four or five days to like eight or ten. Um, but that's that's what how it's bounded. Yeah. Well, and uh, Justin, I, I'm wondering if you can comment on the economics of these things. I think the last time I remember, it was uh, around 1,800 validators per day that can fit through that pipe of withdrawals or deposits. I don't know if that's the right number. Is that is that right? Um, that sounds a bit too high. I think it's uh, in 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 ETH the terms. It's about 50,000 or 60,000 uh, ETH per day. Now, just to give you an order of magnitude. Uh, since uh, proof of stake happened, we've had on average twenty thousand ETH per day. So the the activation is uh, queue is definitely not not full. Cool. Okay, 20, so fifty thousand ETH per day, day times nine hundred nineteen hundred dollars, basically round up to a hundred million dollars at the current ETH price can flow between the beacon chain and the withdrawals. And the withdrawals is what's being unlocked today. And so today, for the first time. At maximum, $100 million of value can go from the beacon chain back into the rest of the world. And that is the thing we're celebrating. <laughs> but up and uh. I didn't know Bankfest denominated in USD. I this was <laughs> I, a significant show. portion of our listeners do. And so we're doing the, the, the big <laughs> computational work on, on their behalf. Okay, so... I where do you guys want to go next? Uh, the, D Justin, I know that this is uh, the proof of stake world is, and the ETH staking is 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 uh, something that you pay attention a lot of attention to. So when, when we see the Shanghai, the now called uh, Chappella upgrade, like why why is this so significant to you? Like when when you is th this upgrade, like uh, I think everyone kind of sees something different in it. Uh, a lot of people want to talk about liquid staking derivatives. A lot of people want to talk about ether sell pressure. Uh, when you look at the Chappella upgrade, what do you see? And and guys, as we get into that, Justin, can someone just, I feel like I went on vacation and it was called Shanghai and I came back and now it's called Chappella and I wasn't ready for that. Yes. What's with the okay. name change? How, how did, how did this come about? Okay. I feel, I feel strongly about this. So, um, <laughs> okay. So Ethereum has like this execution layer, this consensus layer, you know, before the merge, we were all doing our own thing. Uh, Obviously, the networks communicated, but in terms of the network upgrades themselves, they were pretty independent. So, you know, we had London with 1559. Uh, and then on the on the beacon chain, they had Altair, which was their first fork. Um, and then we had the merge, and we sort of had to specify like the set of changes on both sides of the chain, right? Like there's some stuff that happens on the beacon chain, some stuff that happened on a proof of work chain then. Um, and so those upgrades actually had separate names as well. So like the set of changes on, on the proof of work chain was called Paris. And uh, on the on the proof of stake chain, it was called Bellatrix. We were lucky that we could just call it the merge and move on with, their, with our day. Um, but knowing that we would be in this situation, we started to think, okay, what's like a way we can name these things that people don't have to like follow two different names. Um, so right now the set of changes on the consensus layer side is called Capella. They use stars to do those changes. On the execution layer side, it's called Shanghai because we use the DevCon city names in order. Um, 
But then most people like don't want to know that like Shanghai and Capella are the two sets of changes. Um, and so Proto from Optimism had the idea that we should just merge the names together. Uh, it gets us a new name, so Chappella in this case. Um, and this is kind of neat because if you have a weird funky name, you can know it's like an upgrade on both sides, but then say that like we just changed something on the beacon chain, we can just use a star. If we just change something on the execution layer, we can just use a DevCon city. Um, so we can, you know, we can call this Chappella because it's like the, the sum of the two upgrades. And then the next one, you know, it'll be Cancun and Deneb. So we can call it Dancun. And no one has to know about Cancun or Deneb. Um, so Chappella, Dancun, <laughs> and we'll keep going from there. So, so every we're time that portmanta. we talk about the naming nomenclature of Ethereum upgrades, I just remember that nerds are taking over the world. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was named after Dave Chappelle. And he's just like, y'all got any more of that eight steak, right? <laughs> it did give us a sports on Twitter. That's a neat power, though. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was a fun detour. Thank you for for guiding us through that that one, uh, no, Tim. Uh, Justin, I'll throw this throw this back to you. Uh, the kaleidoscope that is the Chappella upgrade. Uh, what do you see in it? Right. So I guess before we get into that, I just want to do a couple of clarifications. Sure. The first one is proof of stake. Yes, I agree. It's now functionally complete. And so if we were to leave Ethereum as is for the rest of time, it would be a functioning system. Uh, having said that, there's a bunch of security upgrades and improvements that are coming to proof of stake. So we have, for example, secret uh, single leader election. We have single slot finality, uh, which uh, reduces the time to finality. We have what's called enshrine PBS. We have VDFs, and we have maybe a dozen or so security upgrades that will eventually make Ethereum World War III resistant. Um, and and the, the second detail that I wanted to, it's really a minor one, is differentiating the activation and exit queues versus the deposit and withdrawal queues. So really the, the throttling of the validators is, is at the activation and, and exit level. Um, the deposit and withdrawal queues are, are basically there because the beacon chain needs to process all of these things and it's a bit of a dos vector if they have to process too many deposits or withdrawals at the same time now in terms of the, the big picture of why withdrawals is important um i think there's, there's several aspects one of them is is of course uh, liquidity you know it's a big de-risking event because so far we've mostly had uh, early adopters come in and the way that i see it is the big picture is we're going to go from the early majority to the to the late majority. So we're about halfway through, I'd say. Uh, we have 18 million ETH staked, and over the next two and a half years, what I'm expecting is that to 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 roughly double. Um, and if you were to 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 zoom out and look at the the shape of the the uh, amount of ETH staked over time, it's su like surprisingly, shockingly linear. Yeah, it is uh, a straight line up. It's a straight line up, and I expect that to 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 continue. Uh, the the one blip that we're going to have is basically right after the fork. What's going to happen is that both the activation queue and the exit queue uh, should be completely clogged. And the reason is that you know, entities like Kraken and, and and Celsius and whatnot will be uh, exiting extremely fast. And on the other hand, we're going to have people uh, restaking. So, for example, Lido will be setting up automatic deposits to restake. And so these two queues, which uh, dequeue at the exact same rate, will mean that the, the amount of ETH stake will be staying constant, possibly for a few weeks. But then that's just a blip, and then we just continue up only. At least that's my, that's my prediction. So now, you think that the shape of the curve is going to be, it's been linear. You think yes. at the moment of 
the uh, the hard fork that comes later today in something like uh, uh, nine hours, you think mm -hmm. it's going to be flat for yes. a short amount of time, maybe a couple of days, and then you think it's going to resume its linear uptrend? So it's not going to go down, importantly. Well, yeah, I think it's going to plateau potentially for a few few weeks. It, few weeks. it is possible that there's a bit of a race condition, basically, who can set up their infrastructure first to make automatic deposits versus Kraken doing the automatic withdrawals. We've mm. seen today, if you go to rated.network, um, they have this new uh, dashboard which shows you withdrawals and Kraken has already started withdrawing. Now, my expectation is that Lido will start the automatic uh, you know, restaking of, uh, of issuance, beacon issuance, you know, very, very soon. And then once these two processes have kicked in, uh, then you know we should have uh, we should have a plateau for 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 a few days, maybe a few weeks. The the other thing I was curious about, Justin, is um, so you're anticipating like kind of like final state being like a doubling of the amount of ETH staked right now. Which which what what does that what does that put us at? Like thirty to forty percent of the total ETH in the network is staked, something like this. And if so, um, that I believe is a lot less than some other um, networks, crypto networks that have had staking for a while, right? So like we're looking at some other networks and they're, they're closer to like the 60% or 70% range. If that's the case, why do you think ETH won't, Ethereum won't get to like higher uh, numbers of, of staked ETH, you know, closer to 60 to 70% of the supply? Right. So we actually don't want too many validators and that's for a, a number of reasons. Um, one of them is that we we don't want to be unnecessarily overpaying for economic security. So the way that we pay for economic security is with issuance. And if we have enough economic security with, let's say, 30 or 40% of stake diff, then, then we don't want to be overpaying by unnecessarily diluting ourselves. The other very important thing, in my opinion, is that we want to have plenty of pristine economic bandwidth. So ETH has two macro uses. One is as staking, and the other one is as a collateral asset in the context of, for example, backing decentralized stable coins. And um, we want to have plenty of kind of raw, pristine ETH to be used by applications that want to consume the best-in-class collateral asset within, within Ethereum. Now, there's also other technical reasons. One is that we already have half a million uh, validators which is a lot of validators. And we don't want to have too much computational pressure on the, the beacon nodes. So the, 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 the clients that, are, that have been built so far, you know, Prism, Lighthouse, et cetera, you know, maybe they can, they can handle a million validators, but do we really want them to handle two million validators? That's maybe you know, pushing things a little far, especially that we want to do this upgrade called single slot finality. And what does single slot finality mean? It means that you get finality within a few seconds. And in order to get finality, we need every single validator to be making an attestation and to aggregate these attestations. So we're talking about aggregating hundreds of thousands of BLS signatures in just a few seconds. And this is a very challenging technical process. So we actually want to be in a, pro in a, in a position where we cap the number of validators. And there's various ways to, to, to do that. Um, one of the thing, ways we could do it, for example, is by having a issuance curve which goes negative as soon as we get very, very close to the cap that we want to get to. Um, another idea which is not really a cap, but it's more of a, a way to slow down the growth 
and is, is, is called MEV burn. Is this idea that we do something very, very similar to IP1559 did for, for, for base fees, but this time we do it for MEV, and that should give us a little bit of relief and uh, remove the urgency on, on, on capping. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so a lot of those subjects I know are highly related towards this question that we have at the end, which is what's next for Ethereum staking? So I think we'll pr perhaps return to, to some of these subjects later on. But Anthony, I want to turn the same question to you. Uh, thank you uh, for for waiting. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the kaleidoscope of the Chappella upgrade. There are so many things to talk talk about. Uh, we got liquid staking derivatives. We got uh, solo stakers. What, when you see this upgrade, like what what does it mean to you? Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with like pretty much everything that Tim and, and Justin have said. And I, and I really resonate with the view that while this is kind of a big milestone for Ethereum staking, it's not the final stop, so to speak. Like for me personally, I view it as like a 1.0, right? And people are going to kill me for saying something like ETH staking 2.0 because uh, we don't want to bring up the 2.0 terminology again. But but I think there are, as Justin said, like there are other upgrades coming to proof of stake on Ethereum that are going to harden proof of stake, right? And make it better make, make it more secure and all that good stuff they make it more resilient um which means that proof of stake you know in its current form can can work and, and can work just fine that's why you would call it a 1.0 uh but it is not you know as complete as we can make it so to speak there are a lot of different things that we can add to it to make it a much better system which will be added you know over, over time especially things like as justin mentioned single slot finality and the, the the secret leader election and stuff like that i actually personally think they're pretty critical that they, they actually do need to be shipped and stuff like pbs as well uh, i don't think they're nice to haves i think they're, they're pretty much must-haves at this point so yeah I, that's why like with withdrawals being shipped we kind of finished the 1.0 version of, of staking but then we move on to all of these other upgrades that could be considered like a 2.0 version of Ethereum staking. But like, that's my own kind of take on it. I, I don't suggest adopting that terminology for sake of not confusing everyone even more than we already have. <laughs> yeah, the Ethereum but, um, community does not have a good track record of not doing that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but in terms of of just the significance of it, I, I think that the biggest thing for me is showing, uh, well, there's, there's two probably major things. It's showing the, I guess, like ecosystem that uh, Ethereum is still shipping, like at a, at, a, at a better pace than it's ever done, right? It's still shipping major upgrades. It's still executing on its roadmap. And that is sending a strong signal to the rest of the ecosystem that Ethereum is is, is evolving, Ethereum is, is executing, uh, even post the merge, which obviously was the biggest upgrade in Ethereum's history, we haven't really slowed down at all. You know, even uh, all these um, things happening in uh, for, for Cancun or, or Dencun, as, as Tim mentioned, like ERP4844, they have made amazing progress. Like there are dev nets, there are things happening. Uh, there is, and, and it's slated hopefully for, for later in the year, or, or maybe, you know, it depends, maybe early next year. But with the the pace that that the, um, the, the shipping is going right now, it just inspires a lot of confidence. So I think that's a strong signal being sent out. Um, and secondly, just related directly to withdrawals, I think it acts as as an absolutely huge de-risking event. And I strongly agree that we're going to see much more ETH staked uh, be because of that. And we're going to see a much healthier staking ecosystem because of that as well, because now no longer are the LSDs themselves uh, limited by market forces, where essentially the only way that these LSDs could re-peg is if the market basically re-pegged them. And I know they're not a peg, so to speak, but like to make them actually kind of at, at fair value, you couldn't do that arbitrage with the beacon chain directly. Now you'll be able to do that, which 
which I think even though it may seem something that's kind of simple and gets done every day and it's not something to be excited about, I think it's absolutely huge because it means that staking uh, with LSDs is going to be much safer, much more efficient. And it's going to mean that these money market protocols are going to feel more comfortable uh, with adding them as collateral, making their collateral factor uh, kind of uh, higher so that people can use them to borrow more assets against them. And then it opens up the whole other world of other things that are that are coming to staking, such as the restaking stuff from Eigenlayer, distributed validator technology, like all these other things that can build, be built on top and around staking. It makes those things possible and much more exciting. So that those are the two major things that I, I kind of look at. Uh, but yeah, there, there's a lot. I mean, as you said, it is a kaleidoscope. People have their own different views on it. Uh, and there's always a lot to talk about uh, when it comes to Ethereum upgrades. I know we're going to talk about price and sort of, you know, whether the, the amount of staking is going to like to how that's going to impact price and whether stake teeth is going to go up or, or down post merge, because there's been a lot of discussion on this. I could say for me personally, I see withdrawals as a huge de-risk event and I have some of my own personal ETH staked, but I've literally been waiting for this moment for like, well, we have months of trust in the network uh, post merge, uh, you know, and you know, David's gas on breaks, right? So I'm, I'm a bit more risk averse, but I don't know what what David you've been doing with with uh, mm -hmm. your ETH, whether how much you're staking versus not. I've literally been waiting for this event, and maybe for like me to start seeing some withdrawals to to start getting more bullish on on staking my own ETH. And then once it's staked, if you're a long term holder of ETH, why unstake is mm -hmm. is kind of the question. So I know we'll get to the kind of the the whether this is bullish or bearish for ETH price and, and how this impacts kind of sentiment, but that's my own personal take. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, David, like what, what, how do you see this event? Yeah, so, well, for the Ethereum archetype person, I think the, I think, well, I guess it, it almost just by proxy of the fact that the network increasing in total stake, like we're at 18% of all Ether staked. My percent of personal Ether staked has has trended upward since the beginning of the beacon chain as well. It's like, oh, I think I'll take some of those a little bit more today. Uh, and so like perhaps uh, that's a sentiment that's shared by the entire network, which is why we see it going up into the right. Uh, but like the this last event is the final like bridge that needs to be crossed where like the ETH staking, uh, the idea of ETH staking, which I like, you know, pulled out my calculator back in 2018. I was like, all right, I need this much ETH staked and I need uh, the ETH price to be this high and then I'll have this much income to retire on. Like, there, there's this usually, is when that there's literally a bankless video about this from yes, this time. Yes, Remember we exactly. ran through We've the calculations? Done this and so this is finally the event that allows that to, to come true. Um, we are not currently at the ETH price that that I envisioned, but we're still only 2023. <laughs> it's still quite quite early. Um, Anthony, I want to actually uh, turn back to you because uh, a lot of what you do at the Daily Gway is just to provide accurate and informed information about Ethereum, uh, kind of a fractal off of your t activity with uh, ETHUB uh, way back when, which was just to fight Ethereum FUD. And there is plenty of FUD abound per usual about this particular hard fork, simply because of the nature of what it is. Uh, all of the ether is gonna get unstaked and it's gonna go sell the, sell the price down to zero. It, the Ethereum security is gonna go to zero. Like what, what's some of the biggest uh, Twitter FUD that you see out there that you think is totally just like ridiculous? There's certainly some criticisms and critiques and bearishness about uh, the, the staking, the withdrawal upgrade, because like simply put, when you add more supply into the market, like there's more people that are able to press the sell button. So like, not I'm not discounting that at all. There are some people who are just like fighting this whole thing left and right. I'm wondering what's like the biggest piece of like Twitter drama that that's worth addressing. 
So some of the most ridiculous takes I've seen around it were from people who don't actually understand how it works at all. Basically, they don't understand that there is a queue for staking and, and unstaking, withdrawing and all that. They don't understand that 70% of the stake is already in LSDs and smaller stakers can exit, you know, almost at fair value a lot, a lot of the time now because a lot of these LSDs are not trading at a discount, right? They don't understand that we added more than half the existing validators uh, in 2022 during, you know, one of the most brutal kind of like bearish periods for crypto people were still adding validators right because they still wanted to stake their eth um and there's just like a lot of different things that fall off of that people saying oh they added a queue because they don't want people to exit too quickly so that the price doesn't dump it's like i mean there are so many different considerations here for, from the economic security perspective that that Justin went through and why it kind of exists so when people say that i, I just laugh but I, I think a lot of the misunderstanding comes from the fact that people just don't understand how Ethereum proof of stake works, how it differs from other proof of stake networks, uh, because a lot of the other ones, pretty much you know, all of them are some flavor of delegated proof of stake, uh, whereas Ethereum is very, very different. It doesn't have uh, that kind of in-protocol delegation there. And that's why we have a lot of these LSDs that are quite popular. Uh, but uh, the the deposit and, and withdrawal queue is, is, is definitely a huge kind of uh, source of confusion for a lot of people. And they don't understand why it exists uh, and, and why it's needed. And they they think it's just been done as a way to like stem the bleeding or something like that, which is obviously untrue. Uh, and and I think that they 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 kind of they form this bias around it as well. They look they look at it and they're like, oh, look at all the ETH that's going to be unlocked, and look at all the other unlocks that have happened in the past, and what happens to the price of the asset. Well, you have to contextualize this. If some token has a massive VC unlock, well, that's going to be a very different unlock to to what Ethereum is doing with with staking withdrawals, right? And there is no actual kind of um uh, uh what's the word? I'm looking for kind of Oh, there's there's a word for it. It's eluding me right now. There's there's no prior events like this that has happened before, where a, a major network like Ethereum has enabled staking withdrawals later, and there's been all this value at stake. You know, there's nothing been like it. So people can very easily form their own views on this uh, just based on nothing because there's nothing to point to. Uh, and mm -hmm. and I think that leads to, as I said, like people forming their biases and then uh, and then reasoning about it from that with all the lack of information that they haven't got around how Ethereum proof of stake works. So that's why. I've tried for, for many months now to correct all of this, but it is really, really hard because as I said, when, once people make up their mind, they have their own biases, they're not really open to reason about this, especially when it comes to the price where they're like, oh, you know, this is going to be really bad for the ETH price because billions of dollars is hitting the market. And then you try to explain to them, that's literally not what is going to happen because of all these reasons. They're going to be like, oh crap, oh, what? No, I already made up my mind. That That's not actually true. It's going to be really bearish. So I, I, mean I, I think that's that's what kind of happened. Anthony, most basically, I was told, like, right after the merge, I was told for months, don't stake your ETH from, like, you know, Fudsters, because you'll never be able to unstake it. Withdrawals will never be enabled, or if they are enabled, it's up to Vitalik, and he might do that, you know, by his good graces five years away, right? Like, it's just the amount of misinformation about Ethereum is um, is pretty staggering, particularly on this Never point. seems to go down. That, that that FUD point is pretty funny. And I I just noticed I didn't even mention that because it actually is so unbelievably stupid that I, I think it well, was- It's just it about to me. be disproven in a few hours. So yeah, I mean, well, and that too, do. right? But but yeah, again, that just goes hand in hand with people having their own biases towards, towards Ethereum. If you, if you already don't like Ethereum, then of course, you're just going to not care what the relevant truth is here, right? You're not, you're not going to care that they're going to withdrawals are going to be shipped, especially after for years, if you said the merge was never going to happen and then the merge happened, 
mind and you're like internally in your brain being like, oh crap, what do I pivot to now in order to fight Ethereum? And then you pivot yes, to this next this thing. This is what happens. It's just, it's yes. just a forever kind of goalpost move. So yeah, I mean, we're about to ship it. Uh, at the end of the day, what these people say is irrelevant. I doubt any of the core devs or researchers give a crap about what these people say. They just do the work that they want to do and they focus on what they want to focus on. And, and the community keeps moving forward at the end of the day. So guys, I think we've covered a decent amount of the low hanging fruit about the uh, this conversation, like what it is, uh, the withdrawal and deposits queue, why we call it Chappella when we previously called it Shanghai, some of the some of the FUD. But there's some more nuanced conversations that I think probably a lot of listeners are are, are waiting for, and that's really just the big question of like, okay, 18 million ether can now move. It can be sold. It can also be moved from liquid staking project to liquid staking project. Um, more ether could be staked because of this de-risking event. Uh, so, like, I think these are the three big umbrellas that that I see. Uh, like, how much is going to be sold? How much is going to be reshuffled? And how much more ether will come in as a result? I think these are kind of the three big categories. So, I think that's where I want to turn to next. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Bankless Nation, we are back with the questions that you guys really want answered, which is what's going to happen to the 18 million Ether that gets unlocked? And so, uh, Justin, I actually want to get your perspective on this because uh, you have this uh, mental model of like frozen liquid and boiling Ether. And I think this kind of slightly uh, relates to, to that whole idea. We have a bunch of frozen Ether that's available to be thawed. We've got 18 million Ether that's frozen in the beacon chain. It's going to some of it might go through the hole and become thawed and become liquid ether. That can go to DeFi, that can go back into a different uh, uh, staking derivative project like Lido or Rocket Pool or some of the long tail ones. Um, it might be sold on the secondary market. Uh, and so uh, of all the destinations that ether could go, do you have an opinion or or an idea as to where the the most of the ether might accrue? Right. So just thinking in, in qualitative terms, I think there's two very healthy things that happen once you can for ETH. Um, one is competition. So for two and a half years, if you've been staking one, with one service provider, you've been locked in. And I think that has kind of led to a little bit of staleness in terms of innovation and, and, and competition. So I don't want to pick specifically on Coinbase, but it's an easy one to pick on. They are a very large um, operator and they charge a 25% fee. And I think a lot of their users, you know, have joined a staking service maybe a year ago, or 18 months ago, or even more. And in crypto land, 12 months or 18 months is an eternity. It's, uh, you know, maybe enough time for you to get comfortable with the concept of staking, um, comfortable with the fact that, you know, now it's, it's been de-risked and you understand what's going on. And so I'm hoping that there's going to be, you know, a move outside of you know these very large pockets of stake like coinbase towards maybe solo solo validating because really withdrawals is a, an unfair unfairly good upgrade for the solo validators because they haven't been able to access liquidity whereas projects like like lido and coinbase you know they get a tiny upgrade so um you know as was mentioned uh, you know they have a slightly stronger peg because now it can be economically arbitraged um but really the, the key upgrade comes for the, 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 the solar validators. Um, now, another interesting kind of thought experiment is in terms of, of, of Lido. And I think that there might be an opportunity for a vampire attack. So basically Lido right now is huge, right? It's something like 31 or 32% of all staked ETH. 
And so the, the question I have is, could a competitor come in and basically set up a, a smart contract so that you deposit staked ETH and then it gets automatically unstaked with Lido and then restaked with the competitor. And the competitor says, if you do that, we're not gonna charge you any fees for the next X years. Um, and so that could be kind of a very interesting dynamic that we see shortly, um, maybe a few months after withdrawals are enabled. Is this is this a Justin Drake brainchild thought experiment, or is this something that you've seen out in the wild and have seen perhaps a liquid staking derivative project actually talk about? No, I haven't seen anyone talk about it, so I guess it's brainchild. Um, but yeah, I told I'm you trying to get to... one of those in the episode. I told you. <laughs> So yeah, this is a huge opportunity, I think, for a competitor to to, to step up and and uh, and maybe provide healthy competition uh, in in the mm -hmm. ecosystem. And, and Justin, can you just underline that healthy competition? How does that benefit um, ETH stakers? Does it lower fees? So you, so you mentioned Coinbase with a twenty five percent fee. I mean, I guess you know implicitly that would be unsustainable if you bring more competition into the market. So does it does it lower staking fee prices? What are the other benefits for ETH stakers when you have more competition? Right. Um, so one thing could be lower fees. Um, so right now, Lido charges 10% fee, but maybe you know that could be reduced to 6% or, or 7%, I don't know. Uh, but the other big improvement is that it, it makes Ethereum stronger, more robust. And so as an ETH holder, you, know, you, want, you want Ethereum to be maximally successful. And uh, th this, this, this competition will kind of make the value of your principal, your 32 ETH, hopefully uh, uh, grow uh, because of that competition. So there's almost like this this notion of activist staking, where you know you will consciously make a decision to move away from the large pockets of staked ETH and and go to the to to, to the smaller ones. Now this is not only rational just from a mimetic standpoint, but it's also rational from a fundamental standpoint. And the reason is that within the protocol we have infrastructure which we call anti-correlation you know incentives so if there's some sort of correlated failure so for example if many validators get slashed at the same time or many validators go offline at the same time this is where the penalties really start hitting you hard because the more validators are affected around the same time the greater the penalties and so you want to try and avoid being correlated with many other validators. And so, for example, if there's some sort of smart contract bug within Lido, or if there's some governance issue with, 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 with Lido, well, you're going to get the maximum penalty if things go really wrong. And the reason is that the, the, the penalty for slashing, at least, is three times the amount that is, that is staked. So there's 31% of all ETH staked with Lido, three times 31 uh, would be you know, 93%. You'd get slashed 93% in, in the worst case. Whereas if you're in a much smaller pool, which only has 1%, then the, the worst that you could get slashed would be 3% if, if, if that whole pool gets slashed and, and, and only that pool. So it's so, kind uh, of a, a way to buy insurance against, against tail risks. And people don't often you know, think about these tail risks, but they are there. I definitely want to um, focus back on that comment of uh, Chappella Shanghai withdrawals upgrade, whichever you want, you want to call it, uh, benefits this solo staker the most. But first, uh, before that, I think that's where we'll kind of tie off this conversation. Um, first, I want to go back to that idea of this withdrawal uh, 
curve. Uh, so like like Justin said earlier, it was linear. He thinks it's going to be flat because because of the withdrawal slash deposit queue. They're going to cancel each other out while these things settle. Um, but I think it's pretty reasonable to assume that withdrawals will ultimately outpace deposits just because of the pent up demand to withdraw that's built up over the last like two plus years that the beacon chain has been has been online. Now, whether that amount, uh, that extra withdrawal pressure that in my opinion, perhaps will exceed the deposit pressure, whether that just returns into new deposits into Lido or rocket pool or some others taking uh, uh, derivative or perhaps goes into DeFi or perhaps gets sold. I don't know. Uh, but let's present, let's put on the bear caps because it's bear season and say that like, a decent amount goes to the secondary market to it's also may or excuse me it's also april so it's also tax season uh so like perhaps there is some some sell pressure out in in the market so the, anthony i want to turn this one to you uh can you put on your i know this this hat does not fit well on you but put on your bear hat uh what's the bear case for for ether and the eth price why is the eth price going to go down <laughs> this is an impossible question to ask me, sir. And you know that. Um, so, so you, you mentioned you mentioned taxes, right? I, I think that like there are a lot of taxes that have been accrued by stakers via the consensus layer rewards. Obviously, that they have not been able to sell those rewards to cover those taxes. They could cover those taxes using other funds that they have, if that's the way they're being taxed, or if the tax office or the guidelines basically say that you're not taxed on that ETH until it's actually unlocked as part of the the Chappelle upgrade, you may need to sell that. And I, I ran through some rough numbers on, on my show a bunch of times where I basically said, let's just say 30% has to be sold for, for taxes, right? 30% of the consensus layer rewards, which I believe is like 350,000 ETH or something like that. Uh, I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head. Uh, but at the same time, like all of that's not going to be sold at once, right? There are going to be people that are not going to want to sell that ETH. Uh, they're just going to cover their taxes with other fiat that they have, right? Not everyone's going to be at a 30% tax rate. So the, the numbers are very hard to get for for that kind of scenario, right? For the for the tax selling purposes. Now, in in terms of the actual ETH stake itself and how many people are going to sell the stake that they that they put in, well, I've seen many charts floating around that basically say that most stakers, based on the USD value of when they actually stake their ETH, are underwater. Now, that's not going to be totally accurate either because people could have bought ETH at a cheaper price and then staked it later, right? It's going to be it, it's very hard to get those accurate numbers there, but. The, you know, you look at that and you're like, okay, well, who's gonna who's gonna sell? The people underwater, they might sell because they're like, oh, you know, I need the liquidity. I I, I need to panic out of the, this position. Um, you know, it's been locked for a while. I want to get out now. But I, I doubt many of those people are solo stakers. I think those people would have staked with LSDs, and they already have the exit liquidity available to them if they wanted to exit uh, their fully staked position. Even if they took a haircut from selling their LSD for ETH and then selling that for for um, dollars or something like that, that would have been an option for for most people already. So it's actually very hard for me to come up with a bearish scenario where a lot of ETH is going to be suddenly unlocked from staking and sold on, on the market. Uh, the most bearish I can think of is really just the tax selling for the consensus layer rewards. And even that, I don't think is that much sell pressure uh, given how much liquidity there is for ETH as an asset already. It's not like this is some random ERC-20 token on Uniswap. This is ETH we're talking about, which has a huge amount of liquidity um, and a huge amount of people ready to, to buy it, I think, for a number of different reasons. So Anthony, is it accurate to say, and by the way, when we're talking about like price, we're talking about short-term price, right? Obviously, this, you know, people have forgotten 
forgotten this in like three months, basically, like withdraws yeah, would be yeah. the thing. And so, but but short term, people are still curious. And it seems like there are two opposing forces here. There's there's the one force that's like, my ETH has been unlocked and I've been wanting to sell it for a long time, but I haven't been able to, and I'm underwater and I was panicking and now I the ETH is unlocked so I can sell and maybe I have to pay some taxes. So that's one force over here in the sell pressure. Um, and I guess maybe the, the stake pressure over here is like, isn't it great? ETH, Ethereum continues to ship. It's incredible. They just pulled off another successful uh, hard fork. Um, and now this entire staking thing has been de-risked. It's sort of the sentiment I was expressing a little bit earlier. Some of the long-term holders might be like, now's my chance to, to really pile into ETH staking. And these two opposing forces are sort of fighting the, the bull in the bear case, you know, and like the market will decide whether ETH price goes up or down. Is that a way to think about it? Is that how you think about it? Or, or do you add something to this? No, that, that's a good way to think about it, I, I think. And there are also a lot of other demand factors for just ETH as an asset as well. Like if you're talking about what the price can move even in the short term based on supply entering the market, well, obviously you have to consider the demand case as well. And, and every day we have millions of dollars of ETH being used as gas fees, right, on, on the network. Uh, so there's a demand driver as well. People have to buy ETH in order to, to use the network. And then there's um, ETH as an investment vehicle and ETH to stake. So so yeah, there are those opposing forces, but I I feel like the demand side is just stronger than the than the supply and, uh, side. Overall, Anthony, I would expect nothing less. But you think <laughs> the withdrawals getting deployed is more bullish, like and good for ETH price than bearish, even in the short run. Well, yeah, because people have been saying that it's bearish <laughs> for the ETH price since ETH was $1,100 and now ETH is like $1,900. So, and that wasn't that long ago. It was like, what, two, three months ago or something like that. So like that, that's why, as I said, it's very hard to find the bear case if you run through all the scenarios and you try to make it. Maybe I'm not the best person to make a bear case, of course, but I think that just going on the on the logic that I've, I've put out there, it'd be very hard for anyone to do that. And you know what? The people that I've seen that are the most bearish are the ones that don't actually have any arguments arguments to back up their bearishness. They just put these kind of uh, views out there and say, all this is going to be unstaked and sold. It's like, okay, but but why? Why is that going to happen? Oh, oh you know, uh, because of this. And then they don't really have any reasons, right? So that's why I, I kind of say that. And that's why I, I, I try to reason about it from these first principles rather than coming to a conclusion first and then working my way back. Okay, so I want to turn uh, this conversation to the thing that makes the entire Ethereum ecosystem tick which is the solo staker. Uh, and so uh, we said earlier that uh, the, the Chappelle upgrade uh, unduly benefits solo stakers the most, but there, I feel like there's such so as some other conversations about uh, what solo, how this uh, impacts the solo staking environment. And Tim, I'm wondering if you could kind of guide us through that conversation. What, what's the significance of Chappelle as it relates to solo staking? And guys, as we do, can we just define a solo staker? So when we say solo staker in, in our world, what we're saying is basically somebody who is staking, runs their own validator, staking their own kind of- It's their ether ETH. and their validator. Okay. So this is not Rocket Pool. This is not right. Lido. We would not consider Coinbase, these pools right. kind of stake. It's definitely not Coinbase. Someone who's running their own validator is a solo stake, is solo staker. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. I think, I think that's good. Um, yeah, I think- there's probably two things that like make solo staking significantly better than it currently was. Um, like the obvious one is just like getting the rewards uh, 
periodically, right? Like, because what you're saying is, you know, you're locking that capital and, and you know, staking ETH, but you're also getting sort of compensated for it and, and can receive part of those rewards uh, over time. Um, and this has been like a bit true since the merge because of the transaction fees. Um, but obviously there's a big difference between, you know, locking up your ETH and getting absolutely nothing out of it um, versus, you know, locking it up and being able to actually get the funds, get the funds out. Um, and I think the other thing that, that's really neat with with uh, this upgrade is you can also try it right like being a solo staker was a pretty big ask to people uh prior to withdrawals being live because you were sort of signing up for this indefinite amount of time right some people signed up in like 2020 and you know had no idea that like april 2023 is what they would they would be able to withdraw um whereas now it's like you know if if you've been on the fence you know you, you're, you're not quite sure about it like I would I would probably wait until this you know this this uh, straight line that Justin mentioned has gone through like this sort of flow of withdrawals and deposits has, has like passed. But you know after that you should be able you can spin it up. Your validator will activate within a couple of days. You can try it, run it, and like you know keep it running if you want. And if you don't want to, you can shut it down and get your funds back out. You know and in a couple of days as well. So I think there is something there where like once you've done it and you've sort of run through the flow, like you know putting your funds up locking it, running the validator, getting your funds back out, seeing that it's actually working. It was not rocket science. Or, you know, maybe you messed something up on the first try. You want to try it differently the second time. Um, you can do that, right? Um, especially when it comes to things like potentially, you know, changing your setup, changing clients and whatnot. Like, this is something where I think solo stakers are, like, extremely anxious. And, like, you know, you can shut it down and get the penalty in the meantime. But I think just even if it's economically worse, like from just like a anxiety of managing your your validator, knowing you can like fully exit the thing if it was running on, I don't know, like Geth and Prism and you want to try uh, like Nimbus and Bezu, you can like exit that validator, get your money back, literally, you know, formats that drive like that you were using, you wipe it clean and, and start again. Um, so I think hopefully like we'll, we'll just see like a bit more experimentation on that front. Um, and one thing we've been trying to do as well uh, at the EF is set up like some ephemeral test net for stakers as well. So like we, we have this new thing called ephemery where we have these test nets that like launch and completely reset every two, three days. Um, so you can like start from scratch, you know, get some like Genesis ETH on the test net, launch your validator, make sure that it works, exit your funds and, and run through that process because i think up to now it's felt like something where a lot of people who are less experienced or, or like knowledgeable about this like set it up and like somehow it works and then they never want to touch it again and they're afraid of like any mistake and and, and to be fair you know a mistake was costly if it means you, you know you, you get your validator slash or, or whatnot and then you have to wait two years for it to be exited um whereas now it's like yeah i think we you, you get a little bit more uh confidence of like if something goes wrong, you can at least get most of your funds back pretty quickly and 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 try and change your setup. So, um, yeah, hopefully it leads to more experimentation. Yeah, and Tim, this gave gave me kind of just like flashbacks to the first few times I set up my own uh, private keys, uh, and so like wrote down my private keys, loaded them up in my ledger, erased my ledger loaded them up again, made sure the addresses were the same, deposited a small amount of ether, erased my ledger again, loaded up the same private keys, yes. made sure the ether was still there. And that's how I got like comfortable with I've, like I've done the exact my own same ether. thing. Yes. And you so were scared funny. every single time. Every single time yes. I was super scared. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so yes, Tim, yeah. what you're saying is like, okay, we're, we have that same pattern, 
but now we're doing it for solo staking. But we weren't able to have those people who were timid and kind of exploring the frontier because of they weren't able to withdraw. They weren't able to complete the loop. And so like now, like once upon a time, we were all doing our practicing our self custody with writing down our own private keys. And now what you're saying is like people can practice their own self validation of the chain. And so this is like the self custody, but now for validators. And now that this loop is complete, people can go one step further beyond just self custody and do the thing that Ethereum was, has always been set up to do, which is apply self-custody and self-validation as closely as possible. And so you're saying that now that this loop is here, people can explore one step further into this crypto economic frontier and and feel safe doing it. And if it's not for them and they just want to go store it with Coinbase, then they can freely withdraw. But at least they were able and enabled to do that in the first place. This is what you're saying, correct? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you know what I feel like we need though on solo staling, is, staking is for this to be like there are people who will never self-custody because setting up a ledger in MetaMask is too difficult, right? And right. you'll see, see Hi, mom. But there's a lot of people that are are able and willing to do that. But there's a smaller subset of people who are able to kind of maybe run their own validator and like work through client command line and do the DevOps and, and feel confident on that front. Like I might like throw up my hand as as one of those individuals as well. Are there any steps to make solo staking as easy or close to as easy as just running like a ledger, for example? Because yeah. to me, that's what it's going to take to actually get the big takeoff. Maybe that that's- does not include Lido or Rocket Pool in your answer. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Because Lido and Rocket Pool are sort of the the easy button right now. The the question to me to to see solo staking really take off is: Can we make solo staking maybe as easy as running a le- as self custody on a ledger? Do we see anything like that on the market? What do you guys think? Has an answer? <laughs> yeah. So, um, what one the, the the term that I use for for kind of unstaking and restaking is rekeying, basically creating a new set of keys. And this flexibility comes with various advantages because it means, for example, that you can improve your security setup. So for example, some of the uh, you know, institutions that might have like the really fancy MPC to generate the keys, they have what's called remote signing where there's like a separate piece of software, uh, hardware maybe that is air gapped or like kind of segregated in some way or another. And for solo stakers, there's actually this, uh, this technology called SGX from Intel that can be used to basically mimic the functionality of a hardware wallet. It's kind of a way to have your staking keys in a hardware wallet in such a way that you can't be slashed. So the service provided is kind of anti-slashing protection. And there is a company working on it. Full disclosure, I'm an advisor um, called Puffer, uh, Puffer Finance, Puffer.fi. Um, and they, you know, they provide this for free as, so you can just go download it. And then you basically have a, a hardware wallet, uh, kind of the same kind of grade of security as a, as an institution in the context of remote signing. Now, another kind of really healthy thing with, with rekeying is that, um, you know, it, it might unlock certain services for, for some of the, uh, operators. So for example, insurers. Uh, might require that the, the keying process follow certain standards. And the fact that you can now rekey means that you can satisfy the requirements of the insurers. And so now we could start seeing service providers provide slashing protection or provide all, all, all sorts, of, all sorts of, of insurance. And refresh us, Justin, when you say rekeying, what do you mean there? What is rekeying? Right. So when you are a validator, you have 
a private key, which is your, 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 your staking key, and you use this private key to sign messages on a regular basis. So every epoch, every 6.4 minutes, you're going to be signing what's called an attestation, basically a vote on what you think is the current state of the chain. And then every once in a while, every few months, roughly every six months, you kind of you win a lottery and you get selected as a as a as a proposer. And here you're going to sign um, a, a block, a proposal. Now, one of the things that you don't want to happen is that this private key gets gets leaked. Um, and I think what's happening right now is that solo validators are today kind of yoloing it without even realizing it. And the reason is that they have a computer where the staking key is like essentially in hot within the, 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 the machine. And if there's some sort of virus or whatever it is, then they are li liable to get slashed. So it's kind of this unnecessary kind of psychological you know, fear that you know, at any point in time, because you don't really have this strong protection, you could, you could be slashed. So really what we need is the equivalent of a hardware wallet for staking. And this thing does exist. You can use SGX. Uh, to provide the anti-slashing uh, protection. Very cool. Well, this has been a, definitely a big moment for Ethereum, and it's good to see hard forks, major upgrades, so close, so back-to-back. -back. I mean, it, it feels like only yesterday when we were uh, on a massive call as a community celebrating the merge, and now here we are with another hard fork. So we gotta got to conclude with this and end the show in this way. What is next for Ethereum? So let's look beyond Chappella to the next uh, portmanteau uh, that, that you were talking about, um, Tim, which is the next Ethereum hard fork and upgrade. What is the next area of focus for core devs and the development team? Yeah, um, of course. So the next big uh, upgrade is called Dencoon. So Deneb and Cancun together. Um, but, uh, and the main thing we've uh, started to work on for that is EIP 4844. Uh, there's been several bankless episodes about this already, but at a high level, it's a scalability upgrade to Ethereum, which uh, introduces a data availability layer, which will reduce the data costs for rollups. And so if you look at the transaction fees on a rollup today, it's like 90 to 95% the cost of posting data on Ethereum. Uh, for four will massively reduce that cost, um, basically because it, the network won't store the data forever. So because we have like a bound on how long the network needs to retain that data, um, whereas right now the rollup data is like stored in, in, in the nodes forever, um, we, we can charge much less for it. Um, so, and, and, and those savings kind of get passed on to users in the form of lower transaction fees. Um, so this is extremely important if we want rollups to scale and, and you know the general usage of Ethereum to scale. Um, so that's the main thing we're working on. The other big thing I will mention um, is uh, changing how self-destruct works. Uh, so right now on Ethereum, if you deploy a contract, you can basically delete it. There's an opcode called self-destruct for that. Um, this is nice in that you know it allows you to delete a contract, but it's kind of the one area of the EVM where we don't know how long it's going to take to execute the code that's running before we run it. So you can think of like, if you delete the tiny contract, you know, it deletes super quickly, but imagine you deleted like the Uniswap contract or the CryptoKitties contract, you know, deleting all those records takes the computer way more time than deleting like a, a tiny contract. And partially because of that, um, it's, it's, it's kind of incompatible with a lot of changes we want to do in the future. And a lot of the changes around statelessness and, and, um, and whatnot 
can't deal with this this idea that like we need to delete an arbitrary amount of data. Um, so this is something that is used by contract developers. So right now, like we're looking at all the different designs that we can use to, you know, deactivate this in a way that like ideally does not break any existing contracts. Um, but if you're a smart contract dev listening to this, um, it's linked in the blog post. We have like a deactivation EIP just as a, or sorry, a deprecation EIP as like a notice to people. Um, but that's something that I think contract developers should be aware that uh, likely within, you know, the next year or so self-destruct as it exists today will, will not work. Um, they'll, you know, the idea that like the funds get sent back, that the caller address will, will be preserved, um, but like what actually happens with the contracts um, and, you know, how possible it is to like deploy something and replace it with something else, um, that's that's going to be changing. Um, and and so this, if we let a time maybe slip out there, within the next year or so, I noticed you yeah. saying. Yeah, I'm trying to be extremely project. conservative on, <laughs> yeah, you know, so that people will be happy when Dancun doesn't happen in April 2024. Yeah. There you Dancun. go. <laughs> Dancun's great. Tim, I know uh, you got to drop, so feel free to to hop off if, if you yeah. need to. But I do want to ask about Anthony and his solo staker tinkering. Anthony, uh, as somebody who explores the uh, the frontier of solo staking, what does it mean to tinker? What you what you up to over there? What you, what you doing? Uh, I think I have one of the weirdest staking setups or solo staking setups out there uh, for a few different reasons. So I, I said on Twitter recently that I'm currently running four different EL CL uh, kind of combos, uh, and it's put a lot of strain on my network and my networking devices, which has caused me to tinker a lot with with different things. So the reason I'm running four is because I have my sol my normal solo staking box, which has my personal funds on it. I have have my rocker pool odal box which is my mini pools and uh my obviously my uh, my role in the odal uh i have another box which is my archive node box which i'm running for the rocker pool odal but it's a separate box altogether so that's running another combo and then i have another solo box which is my retirement fund so my entire retirement account is in eth but i can't stake that eth with my personal <laughs> funds because of some regulations so i have to have another solo staking box for that so all I think of that's these are so funny. So he has his personal staking box and his retired staking box. box. It and actually literally they're fits. two different boxes because of nation state <laughs> regulations. And like you can yes. put them on top of each other if you wanted to. <laughs> yes. And my and the funny thing is my retirement box is a little uh, device called a Proteus, which is something um, Joe from the Rockapool community uh, uh, sold. So it's basically a, a Rock 5B uh, board in a nice 3D printed case. Um, and it's a low powered device, but it's running a bunch of solar validators on there that is my retirement one so it's literally sitting right in front of me i can see it right here next to my rocker pool box my solo staking box is in the don't other commingle room. them <laughs> but, but yeah but that's wires. it like as long as as long as they're separate that's <laughs> apparently okay but um and yeah and, and they're all running off of my home network so my home network is a hundred uh, a thousand um megabits down so one gigabit down uh and 40 megabits up unfortunately the up is is pretty pretty crappy and i haven't got any way around that but it does put a lot of load on my network i'm using currently 15 terabytes a month just on my staking boxes because they're all using different EL and CL combos. So they're basically running their own Ethereum full node, essentially. And I'm running an archive node as well. So 
that put a lot of strain on and I had to replace some networking gear because some of it was leading to missed missed attestations on some of my boxes because they, it just was overloading my network. So yeah, that's, that's a lot of the tinkering that I've done, but there's so much more, but yeah, it, it's, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun, but when you're running such a weird setup, like I am, uh, yeah, you run into these issues that no one really runs into. And I was troubleshooting things with, um, actually a core dev <laughs> and he was like, what's going on. And it was the network, it was the networking equipment issue. Cause he's like, you shouldn't be missing attestations you're doing nothing wrong i'm like i don't know man <laughs> i don't know and it took me a while to figure it out but I, I figured it out in the end so that was okay yeah the the surface area that you have to be a solo staker i think it's pretty immense these days and we've come we've come a long ways away from where we were previously bullied by the bitcoiners for not ever being able to run a full <laughs> you know note, what? I, which was I, never I ever think, true in the first place i still think culturally we should totally honor solo stakers like i i just want to say good job anthony like mm -hmm. that's oh, totally <laughs> i i know it's 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 more difficult what you're doing right now is is more difficult than just kind of staking it with some sort of uh, pool provider but um, uh, you're performing your civic duty as an Ethereum above and beyond. And I think yeah. that should be celebrated for should, sure. We should put on a little cape today, Anthony. <laughs> nice <day> today. <laughs> I mean, I would be doing a disservice to everything I believe in if I was not solo staking. That's that's mm -hmm. the way I view it, right? And I think solo stakers are the beating heart of, of Ethereum. They are the beating heart of Ethereum values and decentralization. We didn't create Ethereum proof of stake the way we did to just go stake with centralized exchanges, right? And, uh, and, and I've been a solo staker since day one, literally part of the genesis of the beacon chain, um, you know, a bunch of my validators, which yeah, I, I'm very obviously very proud of. But uh, my setup, just for people that listened and, and heard how complex it was, this is not a normal setup. If you, you don't to have to do that, we can we can make it easier than what you just said. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's a lot easier than that. Okay. You can you can very uh, setting up a solo staking box is actually very easy. Um, oh, and and actually just one other quick thing. My solo staking box while I was in Denver for ETH Denver decided to uh basically or well the SSD that it runs on decided to just like die. Um and it caused my solo staking box to go offline. And I had no idea that this was the case until I got back home. Um and, and then I got back home and I, I looked at it. So I had to basically redo my entire setup uh, again. So I had to reinstall everything, but it only took me like half an hour because there's a guy that I follow from, uh, his name is Summer, uh, Summer Eastside. He's on Medium and there's a coin cashew guide. They're very, very similar. You follow that and it tells you all the commands to put into the command line uh, to do it, to generate everything and, to, the, and to, to do everything. And it only took me half an hour to get back up and running with a new SSD. Uh, it's obviously not going to be like that the first time you do it, but I think there's this misconception that solo staking is really hard when I don't think it is. And as I said, you can do it on very low powered hardware. My my Proteus box is um I think it was like 700 US dollars or something like that around that um, for the whole kit. And it comes preloaded if you don't want a solo stake, but stake as part of Rockapool, it comes preloaded with the Rockapool smart node stack. So you can get started straight away. So, and and for solo stakers, there's the Avado or DAP node boxes, uh, which you can also use. So there are multiple different ways to get started. And I think that there is definitely a misconception that solo staking is this really hard thing that's only reserved for the super technical people. I'm not very technical. The command line, I'm, I'm a beginner at it i'm not i can't do the all you the just copy and stuff paste. that other people yeah i mean a lot of the time i, I just copy and paste and, and learn how i go and, and it is it is a lot of fun as well so i just i figured that was worth mentioning too well i think that was nope. a great uh, exploration down the world of solo stakers justin uh yeah give us your give us your last thoughts while we sign off here yeah just to try and shill solo uh staking a little bit more you know you don't have to pay any fees when you're solo staking so already that puts you above the rest from a, from a rational standpoint. But the, the other thing I want to highlight is that 
my prediction is that there is going to be special airdrops specifically for solo validators. And the reason is that, um, for example, Eigenlayer, some of the services that they require is that pure economic security. So just lots and lots of ETH. But some other services are maybe more subtle. They kind of require proof of humanity or they require proof of decentralization. And what is happening right now this is, you know, information that I, that I know internally is that like there's, there's some people that are kind of looking at the set of metadata for validators. And there's a lot of metadata. You can look at deposit addresses, you can look at withdrawal addresses, you can look at fee recipients, you can look at IP addresses, you can look at correlated failures. When did they go offline at the same time? Um, you can look at... So, so it's a fairly simple resistant data set of like your most involved Ethereum citizens. Exactly. Yes. And then you can identify, okay, we know who Kraken is, you know, we know who Coinbase is, and we can just not give them an airdrop if the purpose of the airdrop is to airdrop to specific individuals that are running solo validators. That's a cool incentive, uh, possible incentive, hypothetical incentive to sign off on. And, and as we always say, crypto pays you to learn about crypto. Maybe crypto can pay you in a way to learn how to, to go through the some of the more difficult steps that uh, Anthony was just talking about. David, you want to say something? Yeah, and if anyone just had the gut reflex of this uh, benefits whales who can afford 32 ETH, uh, and above, and not the people who are fractional ETH stakers, but would desire to be a solo staker. I'm wondering if something like Obel and Shared Secret Validator uh, could actually solve for something like that, where four people could come together with eight Ether each and count as a solo staker. That technology is not here yet, uh, but I think it's oh, it right around the corner it because is, yeah, that is something that Anthony, I know, is tinkering with. It was actually one yes, of the answer I, I was looking for you to get to, to say, but yeah, so... I, I, even, can't, even, I can't reveal everything just yet, but I've been leaking the alpha on my show that mm-hmm. DVT technology is is live uh, right now on, on mainnet. Uh, and and uh, yeah, I've been tinkering with it a lot and it is definitely a solution to that uh, you know people but can pull their ETH together in a, in a means so, like as a solo staker team solo staking basically yeah so squad staking yeah squad staking oh wow like that are we using that are we doing that I, I squad like it staking is a good meme squad I like staking. that meme yeah <laughs> you heard it here first guys this has been a, a fantastic episode thanks for guiding us through Chappella you can now withdraw your ETH but why would you want to I don't know just put it back uh, in <laughs> <laughs> See if you can, and then put it back in. Just go through the pipeline once. Uh, Anyway, guys, this is very exciting for Ethereum. We're glad you're with us on Bankless. We'll include some links in the show notes to a few of the things we reviewed. Got to end like this, as we always do. None of this has been financial advice. It wasn't tax advice either, despite what Anthony was getting into a little bit earlier. Don't get your tax advice from Bankless at all. ETH is risky. Crypto is risky. So is DeFi. You definitely lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot.